Well, hello, patriots, freedom fighters throughout Saskatchewan, across the country, and the few around the world, because there are a few. How are we all doing tonight? Do me a favor, share this out. We're broadcasting tonight, finally, across all of my regular platforms. So Facebook, my main page, Canada First, Mark Friesen, Saskatoon, Grasswood, and the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty on Facebook. Also on to YouTube and Twitter. I got my original account back thanks to Elon Musk and the crew. Uh, as well as Rumble and DLive. Hello, DLive. Good to see you, folks. My regular D-livers. Let's just make sure everything's working as it should over on D-live. And TikTok. How are you, TikTok? Good to see you, folks. The page over on DLive seems to be unresponsive. We're not sure why. But uh, we'll get that cleared up here shortly. So, yeah, lots to talk about tonight. Um, there's Betty from Regina. And there's Jill from New Brunswick. Carrie Ann from Alberta. Maria Morrison from Miramichi. I actually worked with a guy from Miramichi. His name is Troy Black. Maybe you know him, Maria. I don't know how big Miramichi is, but... And uh, who else do we got in the house here? Oh, there we go. We got uh, Bog Katie from BC. We got the Mosh Pit from Van Island. Carrie Lynn from Sask. That's good. We got a, a fairly good cross section of Canadians in here tonight. And we got Anne from London, Ontario. That's where Salim Mansour, our guest for this evening, resides. So that's good. Hello, Tammy. So, yeah, lots going on. Um, yeah, anyways, do me a favor. If you're on Facebook, share this out uh, because I'm still horribly shadow banned. That's sort of one of the byproducts of getting put in Facebook jail. But there's a few things I want to talk about before we bring Salim in. Salim is scheduled for uh, 8 o'clock our time or my time, Central. And before I forget, let me just make sure I send the invitation to my good friend Salim Mansour. All right, that's taken care of. He'll join us at 8 o'clock. Anyway, um, some things have come up. There's a video I want to show.
There, this one here. So things are looking up. Oops. Is actually through lifestyle changes. So what does that mean in simple terms? It means cutting out ultra-processed foods, which is now half of the British diet. So foods are coming out in a packet that are full of unhealthy oils, carbohydrates, sugar, for example. Um, eating real food, basically. Uh, moderate exercise, at least 30 minutes brisk walk a day. Uh, and also the... So this guy is talking about, and sorry, TikTok. I'll uh, turn this over so you guys can see it as well. There you go. Um, so this guy's talking about excess death rates in the UK. Of course, this is Asim Malhotra, who's been uh, hard and fast against these mRNA experiments. Uh, because he knows he's actually a cardiologist and he knows exactly what's this mRNA jab has been causing. So uh, they had him on the BBC, <laughs> which is a little strange, but it's good to see. It's about time. Maybe some people that are addicted to mainstream will get the message. Um, but this is what he's talking. He's talking about, uh, you know, reducing the risk of heart attack and stroke. But he, he's very he's very good at how he he gets the most important part of this into this uh, interview. The, the other big sort of elephant in the room is stress reduction. Now, on top of that, the West. So one of the reasons I think this is coming to the news just now is obviously there's been a big concern uh, recently around excess deaths. Now, the British Heart Foundation said certainly during the pandemic or since the pandemic, there's been thirty thousand excess deaths specifically due to coronary disease. That's my area of expertise. And they're trying to figure out what's causing it. Chris Whitty recently said, suggested that it could be because people weren't prescribed statins or blood pressure pills. But Carl Hennigan, that, that unfortunately, I, I've got respect for Chris Whitty, but I think he's mistaken here because analysis I've done, even Carl Hennigan, the director of Centre of Space Medicine Oxford, suggests that statin pills prescription hasn't reduced since the pandemic. So it's unlikely to be a cause. But what is almost certainly, and I, if you allow me to say this, uh, Lequesta, what I, my own research has found uh, and this is something that is probably a likely contributing factor, is that the COVID mRNA vaccines do carry a cardiovascular risk. And um, I've actually called for the suspension of this pending an inquiry because there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about what's causing the excess deaths. Some of it will be ambulance delays. My own father, it was reported on BBC News in July, um, uh, late 2021, uh, I was the first to actually highlight the ambulance delays because my own father suffered a cardiac arrest at home and the ambulance took 30 minutes. And when his post-mortem came out, he had very severe coronary disease, which is unexplainable. I then published in a peer-reviewed journal, they accepted my findings that the likely cause of his death was two doses of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine he had six months earlier. So can I, I just, there's lots of, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, I just want to jump in on that point. So what you're saying in terms of the mRNA? I'm actually extremely surprised they didn't cut him off right at that moment, um, which tells me that, Somebody within the BBC wants this information out there. Link to cardiovascular uh, risk is that that is a proven. It's been proven medically, has it scientifically? Yeah, yeah. For the question, so in medicine, you know, in any research that we do, it's very difficult to always be absolutely conclusive. So we go on likelihoods, and there are lots of data now. Um, the, the highest quality data is what called randomized controlled trial evidence. So there was a reanalysis in the journal vaccine published recently, 
where they found that the original trials of Pfizer and Moderna with mRNA vaccines showed, and I just want to put this in absolute terms because you don't want to scare people unnecessarily, mm. but the absolute risk of serious adverse events was at least one in 800. Okay. Uh, and, and a lot of those are cardiovascular. And then it, you were more likely in those trials to suffer a serious adverse event than to be hospitalized All right. early on. And I think the vaccine has certainly helped people who are high risk, but now we should be reassured that Omicron and what's circulating is really no worse than the flu. And this is really time to pause the vaccine rollout and to really investigate this problem. Okay. Um, so yeah, so uh, <clears throat> let me just close that off for a second because there's something else I want to have a look at. I just got to find my favorite list on TikTok because there's one over there that I want to see as well. Or show you. Hang on. Just give me a minute. Sorry, guys. Give me a minute. I just want to find this one. Somebody sent it to me, and I may have to go to my messenger. Hang on. Yeah, okay, well, here's the link. Uh, that's That'll do. So the CDC is launching an investigation into the COVID vac safety concern. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is investigating a possible safety concern recently detected in some COVID-19 vaccines. The CDC announced on Friday that it's investigating the possibility for enhanced risk of ischemic stroke, the most common type in people older than 65 who received the bivalent Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for COVID-19. Bivalent COVID-19 vaccines, sometimes referred to as updated vaccines, were first authorized last fall. They were designed to target both the original COVID strain and two subvariants of the Omicron strain. The same preliminary signal of stroke risk was not detected in the bivalent Moderna vaccine, according to the CDC. Uh, I wouldn't trust any of these. I wouldn't stick any of these experiments in any part of anyone's body. Um, but it's, it's somewhat encouraging that it looks like at least it's starting to come out. It's starting to, you know, drip out into the mainstream. And of course, you know, that... All of that proves most of us right who were saying this for the longest time and nobody would listen and we were shamed and ridiculed and uh, discriminated against and labeled and all that other good stuff. Um, but it's starting to turn. And at the end of the day, you know, the truth always rises to the top. The truth always finds a way to get out there. So uh, it's just, it's a matter of time. If we all wake up at once, there would be chaos. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, yes, there sure would be. And I'm not really adverse to that, to be honest with you. I think these politicians and our medical community and the media all deserve a little bit of chaos, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, what else do we got here? Let's have a look. Oh, yeah, I know what else we have here. We have... Yeah, there's another 17-year-old Newfoundland boy. Died in his sleep after the thing. And that's uh, yeah, so sad. The Academy Awards is pretty much going to be a three-hour wake. And that's a true story. But... Um, one sec here. I gotta head back over to my account. There's another thing I want to show you. There, this one. Have you guys all seen this? <laughs> so you guys all remember. Um, on TikTok, there's a video of me asking Pierre Polivare about his position on the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, Sustainable Development Agenda, Agenda 2030. And of course, his answer was he didn't know anything about it. So Pierre Polivare is the finance critic uh, for the official opposition. It's sort of his job to understand what's happening, what the government is up to, and to inform the rest of us um, as to their opposition to what the government is doing. Unfortunately, of course, we know that it isn't an opposition. It's a simply a partnership when achieving the goals of sustainable development. So this comes out of the budget.gc.ca, Government of Canada, 2018. To support reporting and ensure continued progress and coordination of our efforts on the Sustainable Development Goals, both domestically and internationally, the government proposes to provide $49.4 million over 13 years, starting in 2018-2019, to establish a Sustainable Development Goals Unit and fund monitoring and reporting activities by Statistics Canada. This will enable better coordination among all levels of government, civil society organizations, and the private sector on Canada's efforts on 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. It will also support the monitoring and reporting of Canada's domestic and international efforts to ensure that all of the Sustainable Development Goals are achieved by 2030 and that no one is left behind. The government is also proposing to provide from existing departmental resources up to $59.8 million over 13 years starting in 2018-2019 for programming to support the implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals. Now it's, it's funny to me it's a little curious to me that when I, I did have that opportunity to ask Pierre Polivare, 
his position on the goals of sustainable development and the sustainable development agenda that his party is responsible to, for committing us to, uh, what his position was. And of course, he answered that question like they all do by saying he knows nothing about it. He's never read it. <laughs> uh, but we know that he was lying. He's lying because if he actually answered the question, then all of the focus would be put on the party he was attempting to get leadership for when I asked him that question. So, it's pretty clear, you know, if, if Pierre Polivier is doing his job as the official opposition finance critic, um, that he would raise issue regarding this and that he would inform the people, especially conservative supporters, that have openly and voraciously supported <coughs> Pierre Polivier, and to this very day still defend Pierre Polivier as the savior of our country when all indications tell us that they are in fact no different than the Liberal Party <laughs> in terms of this enormously consequential and detrimental um, foreign-created agenda agreed to by the Conservative parties in this country in 92 and 2015, made law in 20, 2008 by the same Conservatives under Harper, and implemented joyously by our Prime Minister since he took power in 2015, one month after Stephen Harper signed us onto this agenda. So again, for all of those that made excuses for Pierre Polivier that he doesn't know what it is and why should he, um, this is why. And the other thing that I want to talk about a little bit tonight, I got 10 minutes left before Celine joins us, is um, we're putting something together myself and three other folks, we're going through, there'll be 17 segments to this project because we're going through all of the goals of sustainable development thoroughly. We're discussing, me and these three other folks are discussing each one of the goals of sustainable development, the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals. And we're speaking at length on each one. It looks like each one is averaging somewhere in the ballpark of 45 minutes. So we're, we're doing this over the 17 goals. Um, we're going to release it in segments, of course. Uh, goal 1, Goal 2, Goal 3, etc. Um, just so people can start to wrap their head around, you know, what this agenda really means and what the consequences of this agenda really are to our freedoms, 
to our liberty, to our justice, to our sovereignty, to our you know equality under the law, prosperity, and truth. And as we've seen, you know, everything is related to this agenda, everything that's happening, everything that you dislike about our nation right now is related to that agenda, all of it, everything, everything. And so we've, we're going to go, we've gone through some of these. We've, I think we're, we're working on number uh, nine and 10 will be our next one that we're working on. So we're getting there. Uh, but each one is about 45 minutes and we're, we're discussing, you know, a lot of aspects of each one of these goals because it's there's 17 goals, but there's 169 targets within the goals. And then there's 239 uh, indicators. Again, all of these are aspects of the overall agenda that our government is committed to and and achieving, right? And And so... Each one of these goals does deserve a lot of discussion. So we're looking forward to getting that done and released so people can finally get a perspective of what this really means. And, And ultimately, this is something that your elected representatives should have been doing since 1992, since it was first signed in Rio de Janeiro at the first Earth Summit uh, called the Rio Declaration or Agenda 21, an agenda for the 21st century. After it was signed by your Prime Minister, Brian Mulroney, Conservative Prime Minister, um, they should have sent out their MPs to all of their constituents to every riding in this country to inform the people as to what these goals actually represent and what does it mean? What are the consequences? What are the drawbacks? What are, you know, what is it all about? Instead, instead of that happening and these elected representatives reporting to their constituents this enormously consequential and detrimental agenda, instead of informing the people, they all, all of them, the cons, the libs, the NDP, the greens, the bloc, all of them, completely denied it, completely kept it from the people. Because as I've said before, if they tried to sell this agenda to the people, the people would have rejected it out of hand and probably told the person trying to sell it to them to resign from their position. Because ultimately, and as you'll see through this presentation that we've put together, all of the consequences that this agenda creates for our country. And a lot of them are very apparent. A lot of them are what you're experiencing. But we can make all, we connect all of the dots for you. And this is something that they never did. In fact, they framed it as a conspiracy theory when people like myself and and others like Rosa Corey and and Glenn Beck and and many others were, were talking about this agenda, Agenda 21. David Icke, for example, is another one. 
Um, Alex Jones was another one. Uh, all conspiracy theorists, right? Because if you talked about this, they immediately had to label you and dismiss you and deny what you're saying because what they were saying was 100% correct. And the politicians would not have been able to fulfill or implement a lot of what, what they want to implement because the people would have rejected it. So they had to dismiss it. So here we are. Now we're doing the job of your elected officials that failed to do it. <laughs> they, all, they all deny knowing anything about it. Even your provincial leaders, your provincial premiers and, and provincial parties um, had a responsibility in this and they failed you too. They didn't speak about this at all. They're actually carrying water for parties like the Conservative Party. There are some, depending on who they are, so maybe some NDP um, governments in this country that were fairly open about this agenda, like, for example, Premier Horgan in BC and UNDRIP. He was pretty open about that. He was pretty open about signing on to the SDGs and committing to those. Whereas the Conservatives, because they know their base, were not able to come clean to the people that support them. They lied to them all for decades because they knew how conservative supporters would thoroughly denounce this agenda. I mean, liberals, you know, there's probably a lot of them that read this agenda and think it's a good thing. But we all know what liberals are like. Liberals aren't really great at thinking critically. They aren't really great at, at thinking ahead and understanding consequence. Um, they live in a bit of a fantasy land. But conservative folks are, are different. And this is why the Conservative Party of Canada, the Saskatchewan Party in, in Saskatchewan, the, the UPC Party in Alberta, the Conservative Party in Manitoba, the Conservative Party under Doug Ford in Ontario, all lied to you as they were implementing this and agreeing to this agenda. Um, they just simply deny it. And Scott Moe's a perfect example in Saskatchewan. He's been to two town halls where he's running around the province patting himself on the back for what a great job they're doing. And he was actually asked on two different occasions, one in Assiniboia, one in Kellington, uh, what his position was on the sustainable development agenda, and he completely denied it. He completely uh, dismissed it as something uh, he didn't know anything about, just like Pierre Polivare answered. And this is this is their cover, right? So they got a cover for their for their their daddy, Pierre Polivare, and the and the Conservative Party of Canada. So they're not they haven't told you the truth either. And then <clears throat> then we get into our municipal uh, councils, city councils, who also haven't been open about this agenda. And have also framed it as conspiracy theory, even though the documentation 
proves that they're all committed to this, that if you looked your city up on the list of cities that are, are have agreed to this, and there's a, a group called ICLEI, I-C-L-E-I. Uh, if you look at that, you'll find your city on there most likely, and that your city council is committed to achieving the goals of sustainable development. So it's through every level of government. They've all lied to you. None of them have come to the people to explain what the consequences of committing to this agenda are. So that's what we did. So we, we're working on it now. Like I said, we're, I think we're on on number 10, 9 and 10 maybe. Uh, we've done the first eight. Uh, and it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a project. Um, but we're looking forward to getting it, getting it completed, hopefully by, by this coming Tuesday. And then uh, in short order after that, we'll have something ready to release to, to the folks so everyone can understand and try to wrap their head around what this agenda represents for everybody. So, so we're looking forward to getting that out. Uh, and it's important. People need context. They need something tangible that they can, they can truly understand uh, how terrible of an agenda this is. Um, Anyways, it is 8 o'clock, and my good friend Salim Mansour is in the green room. So uh, without further ado, let's bring in Salim Mansour uh, to discuss a little bit of American politics and a little bit of um, the Ukraine and how all of that ties in together. All right, without further ado, there he is. How are you, my friend? Uh, good, good evening, evening Mark, Mark, and, and uh, Happy, happy new, year new Year to you, to you and to all our all friends, friends across, across uh, the bandwidth band that, that is tuning in to us. us. Yeah, Happy New Year to you too, Salim. Good to see you, my friend. Good to, good see, to you. see you. So, um, I just as I mentioned, um, we want to talk a little bit about what's happening in American politics. To be honest with you... Um, we're going to have to rely fairly heavily on your perspective because I haven't been watching what's going on down there. I've been so focused on what I'm up to up here that I just haven't had a chance to, to really uh, zero in much on, on what's happening down south of the border. A lot is happening, uh, Mark. A lot that is going to have huge consequences um, going forward. Um, and it is going to affect Canada, of course, because we are simply uh, a laboratory of the World Economic Forum, you know, the globalist agenda. You know, uh, decisions are not made in Ottawa. Decisions are made for Ottawa and imposed upon the rest of us. <clears throat> so what's happened in America um, with uh, the New Year coming in, which meant... Um, the uh, swearing in of the new members that one uh, were elected in the midterm election, um, bringing in of a new Congress. Salim, I'm, I'm getting some feedback in the room that you have an echo. Yes, so am I. I don't know where is this coming from. I don't know either. Let me let me unplug this. Uh, is this better? Let me see what the room says. Guys, let us know in the chat if Salim sounds better now. Because I was getting a feedback, very strong feedback, and I was not being able to hear you. 
It sounds good on my end. It does. Okay, let can you give me a break? Let me see my setting. What is happening? It says people are saying, you know, it's it's the same. Um, my setting seems to be okay. Okay, let's go forward if, if this is okay with you. Is it okay? They're still saying there's still some echo and still some feedback. <laughs> but but I, I can I can mute myself and it seems it seems to help when I do that. So let me let me just I'll mute when you're talking. You go ahead. So you're mute and I am talking. Is there a feedback now? No. Okay. All right. So um, a new Congress uh, uh, came in. This is the 118th con uh, Congress. Um, and everything should have been, or at least that's what the media told us, was going to be hunky-dory. The um, Democrats were leaving office. Nancy Pelosi's term was over. She, The Democrats were now the minority. The Republicans were the majority a slim majority, but still a majority. And the new speaker would be Kevin McCarthy, uh, who was the Republican leader in the House. But then they ran into the speed bump, <clears throat> a speed bump that has not happened in the history of the US politics, uh, that is in terms of the Congress for over or almost a hundred years. Um, the speed bump was that a group of Republicans, what is called the Freedom Caucus, they challenged Kevin McCarthy and said that they are going to put somebody else to be the Speaker of the House. Now, <clears throat> Kevin needed the 50 plus one vote to become the Speaker, and since the Republicans we're holding, are holding the majority, this should have been simply a technicality that he would get his 50 plus one vote. The 50 plus one vote in the present house was 218 votes. 218 votes would give the 50 plus one. The Republican in the house were 222. So Kevin had, or only had four votes to play with. If four Republicans decided to not vote for Kevin, he would not get his majority. And that's exactly what happened. The Freedom Caucus, 20 Republican, you might call it the America First or the Make America Great Again, the Trump, uh, pro-Trump uh, Republicans, even though a, a Technically, there was possibly more than 20, but 20 were the Freedom Caucus. They said no, and they started with the first vote denying Kevin his majority. And the long and the short of it is that this thing began on Tuesday afternoon at noon, and it ran for four days, the vote, till 
late Friday night when uh, the Freedom Caucus uh, turned around and gave uh, Kevin the Kevin McCarthy the necessary 218. Now, yes, here we have to pause and think about in terms of the politics and how relevant this event is for us in Canada. If those people wake up, the freedom people, freedom-loving people wake up and decide that they have in their hand the capacity to create speed bumps and begin to derail the globalists, the World Economic Forum, because exactly that is what the 20 did. What the 20 did was as Kevin's voting call kept coming around, it, you know, the first call, he was defeated, the second call, it went up to 15 call before he got it. That's four days. In between, Kevin McCarthy's close buddies were negotiating with the Freedom Caucus. What is it that they wanted to see in the new Congress? And what would be the uh, agreement that would allow them to vote for Kevin McCarthy. And so a deal was made. And a deal, again, we don't have the time to go into much detail, uh, but the deal was that Kevin McCarthy has to listen to the Freedom Caucus. Kevin McCarthy has to listen to the people of America who have voted Republican in that broad, generic sense. But more importantly, coming back to the technicalities, Kevin McCarthy would have to take into account measures in the rule of the House so that the Freedom Caucus members could bring motion on the floor and those motion on the floor would have to be voted upon by roll call, not simply by, you know, a voice vote, yay and nay, and then nobody, you know, nobody knows who has voted for what, uh, etc. And that Kevin would have to agree that a motion on the floor brought by the Freedom Caucus or by any member in the House, but basically it's Republican because the Democrats are voting together. You know, there is no breaking up of them. They're voting straight on the party line and which is what they voted, you know, throughout this four nights that any member can bring a motion on the floor to challenge the speaker. And if the speaker loses the vote, then the speaker would have to vacate the chair. In other words, they were going to control the speaker very tightly with their majority. And the majority is a very slim majority. As I said, you know, 222, he needs 218. How, how large is the Freedom Caucus? The other way, yes? How large is the Freedom Caucus? Well, the declared number of people in the Freedom Caucus during this exercise were 22. And eventually, you know, they started giving up the numbers to support Kevin as Kevin people were negotiating. And all this bargaining was taking place right in front of the camera. And, and, and the movement was taking place. And under the normal circumstances, 
Kevin wouldn't do nothing. You know, it is the uni party. It is very instructive that as all of this was going on, which began on Tuesday, January the 3rd, and ran until Friday, uh, last Friday, Kevin was wearing on his suit, on his lapel, the Ukrainian flag, not the American flag, the flag of Ukraine. And in his uh, coat pocket, in his jacket pocket, he was wearing the colors of Ukraine, the handkerchief. These are all very significant matters, you know? I mean, the whole eye, Technically, might say, you know, 330 million Americans were watching, but whatever the numbers were watching, this is being played out on CPAC, you know, right through. And I was sitting and lying in bed and, and I had my books and I watched the whole ex exercise through because this has never happened before. The last time it happened was in exactly a hundred years ago, 1923. For people with a historical mind, that is just after World War One, and there was again similarity because the issue at that time was joining the League of Nations. That's you know again, it was a globalist agenda. Woodrow Wilson had been the president, and so on, and so the fight took place. Then once before that, that happened goes back to 1855-56, which is on the eve of the Civil War. And the country was divided. Everybody knew what was going to happen because, you know, the issue of slavery, secession, abolition, all was heading down the pipe. And Abraham Lincoln gets elected and the Civil War breaks out, you know. Well, again, to those who understand uh, uh, who, who, who follow politics and understand why this happened this year, the country is divided again, right down the middle. And the division is globalism. It is World Economic Forum. You know, it is COVID. It is, you know, the Ukraine war. And everybody knows that this is the globalist agenda. There's no hiding the fight. So Washington is the swamp, as President Trump said. This is the monster where all of this is being done. And then Washington is backing Davos. That is the World Economic Forum. Without Washington, Davos cannot achieve his goal. So Washington is the backstop. It is the quarterback. It is a uniparty. So what happened is enough concessions was given by Kevin McCarthy to become the Speaker of the House. And among the concessions given were that he would nominate and give possibly the chairmanship to the major House committee that is responsible for oversight. That is mean, you know, having the hearing. So on the question of COVID, on the question of the deep state, that is the intelligence community, this FBI, the CIA, on the question of January 6th insurrection, quote unquote, that has been the story for the last two years, on the question of Ukraine and the budget, he agreed that there will be public hearing, that there is going to be chairs appointed or, or committee members appointed that will come from the Freedom Caucus and that they will not be stopped 
from raising the question that, of course, nobody in Washington wants anybody to ask and nobody wants anybody to answer. Okay, so these were the concessions that taken up. The game began today, but just holding the game that began today in Washington, in the Congress, this play demonstrated that just a few members who are willing to stand up for their principle and to represent their people, that is the American people, not the American corporation, not the multinational, not the oligarchs, not the Bill Gates and the Bezos and uh, just name all of them, the George Soros, but the people, the truckers, the farmers, the postal clerks and so on and so forth, the, ma the mama bears, you know, they're willing to do that. 20 people stopped the American House of Representatives. And, that's, and that, Salim, that to me is such a beautiful thing. It's exactly the way the system is supposed to work. It's exactly the way democracy is supposed to work. It's the way the forefathers in America envisioned it to work. And, and, and it's working. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. Now, I want to make that relative to, to Canadian politics because it's important that we make that, that relation because let's just think for a second and, and go on a thought experiment here. And let's say we get 12 PPC members elected and that becomes the Freedom Caucus. And if the Conservative Party is elected in a minority situation, they're going to require our support to do anything. And then we can hold them to the fire and, 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 and be that Freedom Caucus and stand by our, by our convictions and by our principles and by the values of most Canadians. And this is why it's, it's such a beautiful thing to see. But the most beautiful thing to see, and it demonstrated again the power of the vote and the power of the people exercising that vote in a manner in which they're going to hold accountable those people whom they vote for. Because you vote for somebody who goes to Washington. We're now talking American politics, it applies to Canadian. You vote for somebody who goes to Ottawa or who goes to, you know, the provincial capital, and then he no longer represents the voter who has voted for him or her, but represents the powers in that city, in that institution, which has been bought over, paid for, controlled by the globalist oligarchs. It is so simple. And yet it is so magnificent if the people understood this simple thing. I hate to talk about going back to 2019 and my situation, but it is an example. It is not about Salim or me. I wish somebody else could bring that out. You know, now it is to me absolutely clear what happened in 2019. Andrew Scheer was basically defending the Canadian oligarchs and said that Salim is an Islamophobic and we will not let him have the nomination. In other words, they don't want people like Salim or Mark or Maxime 
five feet close to the House of Commons. That was what happened. And is it okay? Is, is, is the sound okay? Yeah. So in, in the American politics, this happened. And so today, the House met after the vote that had taken place last Friday. And the first thing on the agenda that Kevin did, I'll, I'll take a, a few minutes to speak about the role of the speaker, which is much different than the role of the speaker in the Canadian politics or in the British politics. But let me point out what happened right now and then step back. Kevin walked into the Congress, to the House of Representatives, and the first thing that he announced was that he, as the Speaker of the House, is now going to release the entire 14,000 videos of the January 6th event so that the public can see actually what happened instead of the narrative that was constructed by Nancy Pelosi, the Democrats, and the media. The, remember, the media in America, just as the media in Canada, but since the American media is so powerful, the media in America, powerful in the terms of the of the overreach, the capacity to reach and, 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 and frame the narrative, the media is not a free media. It is a propaganda arm of the oligarchs. There's nothing free there. New York Times, Washington Post, and the entire electronic media is simply the propaganda arm. I keep saying to my students, I used to say, that Goebbels would be spinning in his grave, jealous with envy, how powerful is the American media for the oligarchs. You know, everybody said Goebbels, well, Goebbels was simply a piker compared to the people in America right now or the people here in Canada, or the British, the BBC, and so on and so forth. And it is the window through which the people look at their world. And it is a complete fake narrative. It is lies that they see. So the people who went to Washington two years ago, now counting on three years ago, yeah, two years ago, January of 2021, uh, to show their support for President Trump, were turned into terrorists, insurrectionists, and all negative. You're trying, trying to show. Shows? Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just showing Salim while you're talking about the media and why the media is what they are, and it's right here. And this is the SDG Media Compact. This is the compact where media conglomerates around the world, and as it says right here, um, the SDG Media Compact began with 31 founding members and entertainment companies and has grown into a powerful alliance of over 200 around the world, spanning 160 countries on five continents with a combined audience of 2 billion people worldwide. The SDG Compact seeks to inspire news and entertainment organization to leverage their resources and talent to amplify and accelerate progress to achieving the goals. And the compact provides a gateway to the UN for industry leaders and innovators interested in deepening their commitment to supporting the achievement of the SDGs. So that explains, you know, 
why the media is what they are and and why they do what they do yeah i mean it, uh, it is it is portrayed as uh, 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 the fourth estate that is independent and to protect uh, the people by um, questioning, examining, uh, analyzing the people in power. But that's just just another, you know, fake. What they do is simply broadcast what the people in power want the public to know. And, and that's what it is, you know, and it goes back. It's not something recent. It goes all the way back in modern history to the period of the Vietnam War and, and, and thereafter. Because what happened in the Vietnam War when the media brought the full picture of the Vietnam War to the American homes, the people erupted in anger. And that was the end of the Vietnam War. The most famous line of the Vietnam War was by Walter Cronkite when he said, you know, we have lost in Vietnam. And then the war was over. It was only a matter of time when the American troops would leave. But you can see that was over 50 years ago. You can see since then, every single war that America has been engaged in after Vietnam has been one in which the media has portrayed the war as a victory, even though you know, it was a disaster. The most recent one before the Ukraine war was the Afghanistan war after 20 years and something like $5 trillion and more spent against a poor third world country that was bombed and flattened. You know, America withdrew because America admitted they had lost the war uh, and, and they couldn't stay there any longer. So that's that's the media. And now today, Kevin McCarthy said that he's going to release the whole thing and let the public see how the Democratic Party and the oligarchs have behaved to frame the common people in, as I repeating myself as terrorists, insurrectionists, and so on and so forth, you know, uh, uh, when, when all they had done was exercising the constitutional right, the First Amendment right to, you know, speak, to come together, to meet, to associate, which is exactly what our truckers were doing in Ottawa last year. But we in Canada don't have the First Amendment right. We don't have it in our constitution. That's another subject matter. But in the American case, these are constitutionally protected right of the people, and that was being crushed by, by the, uh, the state and the government. So without getting any further into the detail we are going to, we, we can say that uh, we are going to see over the next three four months a lot of public hearing and I think people like Fauci and others will be brought to the front to answer you know and and more and more facts will come out of how this was not a pandemic but it was an infodemic it was a scamdemic you know and and what you have been talking about and and so many others have been talking about for the last 3 years and at least in america 
the the Republican Party in the in the House, not in the Senate, by the way. The Senate is a complete establishment uniparty under Mitch McConnell. So the Freedom Caucus is in the House. Uh, they they are going to push this forward into uh, 2024 election that is coming going to come, uh, and and we. Again, just to step back, we need to understand this. We need to talk about this in our uh, church gatherings, in our associations, in our clubs, wherever we are meeting. That is, the people who are against the globalists, you know, whatever may be their politics. If the the main issue in our time is about democracy and our national sovereignty against the globalists, then it doesn't matter whether you are on the left or on the right. It is if you are a Canadian, just as in the American case, if you are, you know, America first, you come together as a freedom caucus, you band together as a freedom caucus, and you can then take back, slowly back your rights and force the government to be accountable. At least that's what we're saying. But in that sense, we need, Salim, and this is where I get a little frustrated at, at people. And I did a, a quick video on, on people who are blackpilled. And, and I get it. I understand, you know, the negativity. I understand why people think in those terms. I have a black pill. It's swirling around in my mouth. I just refuse to swallow it. But at the end of the day, the black pills are not our friend. They're actually encouraging people to not get involved and we need people to be involved i can't do this myself salim can't do it by himself and and all of the ones that are doing what we're doing we can't do this ourselves we need people to get involved in their communities and 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 talking about this and giving hope to people that let's say for example we can manage to get you know six to twelve uh, seats in 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 the next election, next federal election with the PPC, and become that that <clears throat> firewall, that that uh, freedom caucus, and and hold these people so they can't do anything without us, and and it, it's it's possible, and 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 we can do this, and and but people have to understand how, and people have to understand what the issues are and 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 that needs to be done by by everybody and so it's it, you can't just leave it up to people like myself or or Salim or others everybody has to take part in this this is your country this is your rights this is your sovereignty that's being sold off by the establishment and so now is the time to take back your responsibility absolutely Exactly. So let let me just take a couple more minutes to to explain, or from my perspective, the difference between the speaker in the American House of Representatives and the speaker in the Canadian Parliament, or the speakers in the provincial parliament, because it is the same model, it is the same structure. Um, in the in the American system. There is the separation of power constitutionally. Uh, so there is the three branches of government. There it is the executive branch, which is the president, who is the commander in chief. Then you have the legislative branch, which have got two houses, 
the House of Representatives, which is called the People's House, and the Senate, which is called the state. They represent the state, the 50 states uh, in the American Federation. So the People's House, the state uh, representation in the Senate, and then you have the judiciary, the Supreme Court, okay? So in the legislature, it is the legislature that, that legislate, that makes the laws and so on, uh, and that basically uh, is constitutionally responsible for a number of things, the most important being, it is the oversight committee. It overlooks, it examines, it it, it supervises, um, and, and holds hearing on how the executive branch implements the statutes and the laws that are written in the Congress. It is also the house where all the bills, that is the money bill, originate. Uh, and it has that capacity to pass this money bill, the budget. But in terms of uh, um, their constitutional role, the speaker, he is or she is, Nancy Pelosi was uh, a she, we, we still don't have a transgender speaker. We don't know what how we're going to have use the pronoun for them. But the speaker is third in line to be the president. If the president and the vice president are incapacitated or, or, or whatever happened, they get removed or they die in office. So the speaker is third in line, and that is extremely important factor in the, in the arrangement uh, within the constitution. Moreover, it is the speaker who runs the house. In, in, in effect, the speaker is also the executive of the house. You know, he runs the house, he manages uh, how the bills are going to be arranged. He decides what bill is going to come on the floor and when it will be voted upon. He is the one who appoints the committees and, and, and members on the committee, the chair on the committee, and so forth. So the speaker is extremely powerful person. It is not simply a speaker like in our House of Commons, where the speaker basically conducts the affairs of the house in a manner in which it can be peacefully conducted uh, according to the rules of the house, whereas the power is still with the cabinet, with the prime minister's office uh, on the one side, that is the government, and then the opposition is there to challenge the government in and have its own shadow cabinet uh, and question it. And the speaker is there just to see that it is done in, in a proper uh, decorum, so to speak. Uh, <clears throat> so the American speaker brings a lot of clout you know, um, just to take one quick historical example, the decision of the speaker to investigate the precedent uh, that happened in the Watergate hearing led to the res resignation of President Nixon. That was a landmark event almost 50 years ago, you know. Um, it is. It was a decision of the speaker, and the speaker decides not to pick up the gavel and say, no, we are not going to have such and such hearing. That's the end of the matter. So 
uh, if the speaker is from one party and the president is from the other party, then there is that fight. I mean, the speaker in, in during the Watergate hearing was a Democrat speaker, the Democrat House, and President Nixon was a Republican president. And he had won a landslide election in 1972, 49 states in the Electoral College, and yet the speaker holding the hearings basically forced the president out. You know, and since then, since the Watergate hearing, the Congress passed the law, the statute, that when there is a question about the president, that is the executive, immediately the question arises, who is going to investigate the president? Until the Watergate, well, it was an internal matter and it was discussed and, you know, it would be the one unless an impeachment was brought, you know, uh, by by uh, in the House by the party that is not the same party as the president. Uh, there was all sorts of give and take and it has ne never happened. An, an impeachment took place after the Civil War and then one with Nixon. But after Nixon, the Special Counsel Act was passed in which the speaker or can appoint a special counsel or demand a special counsel be appointed by the DOJ, the Department of Justice, the Attorney General. And the special counsel then has all the power to go into whoever is being examined, is being, you know, uh, being questioned. And so we saw that with uh, President Trump. Uh, two special counsels were appointed. First was uh, the special counsel Mueller that led to the first impeachment. And then again, uh, a second one that came brought again on an impeachment uh, after uh, the election of 2020. So extremely important, extremely powerful. And so guess what happened? Yesterday, Today, the House of Representatives met in Washington. Kevin McCarthy came down. He's a new speaker. He's laid out all what is going to happen going forward. For instance, they made one promise to the American people in this Freedom Caucus, this 20-member Freedom Caucus extracted the promise from, from uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy that there will be no during his term in office, there will be no uh, uh, omnibus bill brought on the floor, which happened just three days after the Christmas. $1.7 trillion omnibus bill was a voice vote. It was not a it was not a roll call vote. It was a voice vote in which $1.7 trillion was passed, a hundred billion dollars for Ukraine. You know, and and so 20 people, again, I repeat myself, my dear friend, my brothers and sisters in Canada, pay attention. You have the power. You only need to put in, you know, we have, we have a parliament of 338 members. We have a minority government where the liberals don't have 170 members to have a 50 plus one vote in the house. And so they're being held, they're being supported by NDP, by Jagmeet Singh, another, you know, traitor to the, to the cause of the Canadian people. You could 
put 10 PPC maximum and you would see the results coming in. 100%. Because that would not only hold in check the liberals and the NDP, that would hold in check the conservative and it would give courage to those conservatives, especially conservatives from coming from the West, Alberta and Saskatchewan, the courage to stand up with the PPC to challenge the House. If you could only pay attention to what is happening, this could be a global revolution taking place that is the people are taking back their democratic rights. As if, you know, uh, what's his name, uh, Joe Biden or, or, or Justin Trudeau have any rights? They don't have rights. We give them the right. The Constitution is our Constitution, but it has been taken away from us. We have to take it back. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, this, what they did last week, and today the speaker came into the house after the weekend, you know, the week where they had been pushing around things. Just yesterday, knowing that the speaker is coming in and this is going to happen, the attorney general appointed a special counsel to investigate Joe Biden. We don't know where this is going to lead. We can be fully skeptical about this. We need to be fully skeptical. The American people need to be fully skeptical and they will be fully because the camera will now be trained upon these people and they will have to answer the question because they are the ones who raided President Trump's house in Mar-a-Lago on the excuse that he had taken uh, um, top secret files, that's classified files with him to his residence in Mar-a-Lago. Well, Joe Biden was not even the president and he had taken top secret files, classified files to his private residence in Maryland and put them in a garage. And all of that is out now, and it's going to be investigated. And it is quite possible that it will be the end of his presidency. But this is happening on, on uh, simultaneously with what is happening in Ukraine, the war, where for the last 11 months, the Western media, Canada media is full Monty on this. There is no, no voice that questions the narrative on the table, whether you tune in on CBC, Global, CTV, or any of these. If anyone wants to listen to an alternative, they can tune in to you and me, but there is no other alternative. And the same applies in America. The alternative voices are on the internet, on the YouTube, whether they are former military officers and patriots like Colonel Douglas McGregor or Scott Ritter and Larry Johnson, a whole lot of them, or people like you and I who are following the news and they're collecting the news and, and putting it together that is not available on the mainstream media. So for the 11 months, the people have been fed lies that this war that began 
uh, as a special military operation in uh, February of last year, 2022, how quickly the time flies. Next month will be one year. Was a war that the Soviet Union had launched. They had made an aggression upon a sovereign country and were basically, you know, trying to undermine and destroy that country. But the Ukrainian patriots, under the guidance and leadership of this heroic leader, Zelensky was driving the Soviets out and the so sorry, the Russians out, and the Russians were being hammered and they're losing. All of this was nonsense. There was no historical context. There was no historical discussion. And the fact of the matter was and is that Ukraine was a Nazi fascist country, no democracy. The people were being, you know, uh, a genocide was taking place inside uh, uh, Ukraine when they were attacking the Russian ethnic community inside Ukraine, and that's what led to the uh, led to the special military operation. And that over these nine, nine ten months, the Russians have advanced to their objectives. Uh, they have established those uh, uh, states, Donetsk and Lugansk, as in were in established as independent state, and then through referendum, they they join uh, the Russian Federation as Crimea is done, and that in this nine ten months, basically, the Ukrainian army has been totally destroyed. They were destroyed when the special military operation began, then NATO created another army by piling up money and, and logistics and inventory. And that army has been destroyed. And now America and the NATO countries are trying to create a third army. But this time there is no Ukrainians out there to man the army. It is now Poles and Romanians they are being sent in there inside Ukraine. That's something like, according to figures that uh, are coming out, something like 200,000 Poles are in Western Ukraine or on the borders of Western Ukraine. Romanians are there. Americans have sent an army there. There's something like 40,000 Americans with, with, with the NATO that is there. And now Biden, over the last you know uh, couple of months, have been using strong arm measures to get the Germans, the British and others uh, to supply tanks, armored vehicles, more weapons uh, to Ukraine. And of course, you know, uh, our own government is basically playing Sergeant Schulz of Hogan's heroes to, to um, Biden. I mean, there is no discussion in the Canadian parliament about why this is happening. What are we doing? Uh, and as um, uh, Maxime pointed out in his podcast, which of course was never played in the mainstream media, that um, we have, that is the Canadian government, that is we, the taxpayer, in this 10 months, we have put up $4 billion for a cause for which we have nothing to do with. And nobody has asked and nobody questioned. Well, well, that... I, I, but I think it's, Salim, I think it's important to point out too that 
that when we're when we're talking about this, there was a there was a democratically elected leader president of the Ukraine back in 2013-14, and they deposed him, replaced him with the puppet Zelensky, a world economic puppet. And and it's also important to point out too, and to refresh people's memory that that since '92, they have broken the agreement they made with Russia. And I'm speaking NATO. Uh, 14 times, and Ukraine is the 15th time that they've broken that agreement. This war should have been avoided at all costs, and the people of the Ukraine, whether they're Ukrainians or Russians, are the ones who are paying for all of this. Uh, uh... I mean, at the end of this, whenever there is going to be a ceasefire and a settlement, that means an official surrender uh, by Kiev, uh, even though they might find some way to spin that, uh, the media, uh, whenever that happens, and I think it's going to happen by the summer, summer comes along. We are now in the middle of winter. Uh, so by the end of summer, this should all be coming to an end. The, the war side of it should be coming to an end. The killing side should be coming to an end. And when, when the fog rises over it, Ukraine has been smashed to pieces, smashed to pieces, not by the Russian. That happened once that the war escalated. That is, the NATO escalated the war. And so, so I just want to jump in there again. Debbie makes a really good point. All this money is just money laundering scheme. And so it all leads into one of the big agendas built into this overall globalist agenda which is redistribution of wealth. I mean, just look at the amount of money that America has been sucked out of America to quote unquote fund this war, when in actual fact, it's probably being siphoned and sent you know, to other places. And, and, and even Canadians coffers have been completely decimated by, by funding this. And, and it's happening throughout the West. And again, it's another mechanism to suck the wealth out of where the wealth resides, and that's Western civilization. Yes, but uh, in, in, in a very precise way, uh, if we now put the timeline and we look at this matter, <clears throat> the war, since you can go back 10,000 year history, if you want to, wars is the dominant principle uh, element of control. A state that a government declares war and all issues is out of the window. Now, you know, the entire focus is about winning, losing, and control. And so anyone who questions war becomes a traitor, treason and can be silent, the constitution is rolled up, and so on and so forth. I mean, it happened in the American Civil War. You know, the constitution was was put to a, you know, freezer, and that time there was no freezer, but the, the language put to the freezer, habeas corpus was stopped, people were arrested, and so on and so forth. Anyone questioning, there is a draft, there is a conscription, and everything is turned into war production. Okay, so, so that that is the control mechanism. So let's look at the loss. I mean, you went back to 20, 2013, 2014. That's exactly the case. I mean, 2014 was the Maidan coup, which, which overthrew an elected government in, in, in Ukraine. Who was the president at that time? Obama. This was a democratic agenda. It begins 
all the way back in 1992. Who was the president then? George Herbert Walker Bush. So from George Herbert Walker Bush, 1992 to 2014, Obama, it has been Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat president. It is from 1992 to 2014 is almost a quarter century. And in this quarter century, what was happening? It what was happening was the making of the globalist agenda and the implementation of the globalist agenda. While all of us were hoping that the Cold War is over and we are going to have the peace dividend, people will be able to now breathe, unite. I mean, that was the symbolism of the Berlin Wall coming down, that there will be new relationships. There will be new activity, you know, the whole idea of offshoring production to China was based upon we're going to help China become a democracy, you know, and so on. That was the language. But now we know we can now look back and this is for the people to look back and connect the dot and understand this is not a conspiracy. This is looking at the facts and connecting the dots and calling out the game. What happened was the neocons, and let's, let's call them out, the neocons in the American politics. Who are they? What is their interest? Well, the largest number of neocons, ethnically speaking, happen to be American Jews. All right. So and then there are the others who is funding them, the military industrial complex, who warned against the military industrial complex. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, five star general, supreme commander of the Allied forces. It was not Mark Friesen or somebody else, Maxim Bernier or anyone. It was the supreme, the man who won the Second World War. We are not going into the causes of the Second World War. We are just pointing out the fact of the Second World War. He, as two-term president, warned about the military-industrial complex. He said that if you allow the military-industrial complex to take your government and to influence your congressional leadership, you will have lost your country. Well, that's exactly what happened. The military-industrial complex had already taken over the country, and they did horrible things from then till now. I will just mention one thing, for instance, the murder of John F. Kennedy that still remains a fact that nobody wants to discuss in Washington. 60 years after the murder, nobody is alive now in that event. And yet the files have been kept closed because the murderers were the government of the United States, the CIA, the military industrial complex, the Vietnam War, and so on and so forth. I mean, I can spend the whole night with you, Mark, listing what the problems were and what has happened. So the Cold War comes to an end and the people says, you know, we hope we will see change. Not the American people necessarily, not the Canadian people necessarily, or not the people in Western Europe necessarily. Why? Because during this period after the Second World War, the people who paid the price are the people outside 
in Africa, in Latin America, in my part of the world. I, 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 I came out of that genocide with the American army was involved in. In Vietnam, in Indochina, in Cambodia, our children, our students, they don't know anything because history is not taught. And when history is not taught and people don't know history, they know only narrative, then what happens? There is no freedom. You and I have been talking about freedom for the last three years. That's 29, four years. But actually, Mark, we can never have freedom unless we understand history. It's like inside a family, a child is growing up and he wants to be a free person. But his family will not let him talk about the depraved condition within which the family lives. Whether the father is an alcoholic, whether the mother is, you know, I don't even want to use the word, you know, gone off the off the rails, whether the brothers are bullies and so on and so forth. And the poor little guy says, you know, I want to be free. I want to be able to speak. I want to be able to have my sandwich. I want to be him. And he... Of course, all of this is by design, right? They don't, they, they cover, as you mentioned, even with the JFK files, they, they cover all of the truth. They cover all of the history because they understand that if people actually knew history and not the contrived version of history, that, that this whole thing would be turned upside down and flipped over as it needs to be. And, and so, you know, here we are. At the heart of the matter of freedom is the freedom to discuss what is wrong, not what is right. Because what is right is not the problem. I love you, Mark. There is no problem. I hate you, Mark. That is the problem. A hundred percent, my friend. One hundred percent. And really, that is what has been missing. So the people outside have faced the bomb, have faced the orange, uh, the, the, the poison, you know, Agent Orange. They have faced the, the, the toxin that was sprayed and so on and so forth, you know, the tortures, the destruction. And when the Cold War ended, people said, we hope we can have peace. We can have more World Cups. We can have more Olympic, we can have more music, and we can get together. But the World Economic Forum people, the globalists, they want war, perpetual war for perpetual profit on the basis that this war is going to bring peace. But when this war ends, there's another war. And when that war ends, there's another war, you know. And so from 1992, to 2014, we were engaged. The West was engaged in wars. Iraq war, Libyan war, Bosnian war, Serbian war, Somalia war, Rwanda war. Okay, and what did the war do? You could not question these things at home because we were fighting for democracy. By smashing up countries, we were fighting for democracy. Well, but you look at the narrative now, just in terms of the of the Ukraine. Justin Trudeau says it once a week. Biden talks about it 
probably once or twice a week, they're fighting for democracy, which is which is the complete opposite of of reality. But this is again whatever people one might want to call it the Stockholm syndrome, or you know, uh, that there, there, there's so many other you know mass psychology and so on and so forth. The fact of the matter is the Bidens, the Justin Trudeau's, the Pierre Polyev, the Obama, the Clinton, the whole lot, you know, the, 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 the Emmanuel Macron, uh, Boris Johnson, they are like, our kids don't know, but you know, we had the long playing records, remember? And the needle got stuck. There was a crack, and the long player kept going, and the needle kept repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And you had to lift the needle and then play it, you know. We, the people, have to lift the needle because these guys are the needles stuck in the long playing record. They have nothing else. They're just reading the script. We, the people, have to lift the needle and move the channel. That's what the 20 Freedom Caucus members did in the House of Representatives last week in America. God bless them. We will see what, what is the eventual result. But they did what they promised that they were going to do. And they delivered, at least at that moment in time. That's all we can say about them. So here we are. This war happened because of number of things. One, the globalist agenda in 1992 was clearly understood, well, though never spoken out loud, but understood, and so we have to draw the dots. The neocon agenda of unipolar hegemony, the America will not tolerate any other power uh, and, and, and will demolish them, was put into motion. And that motion meant the dismantlement of Russia. Russia, Soviet Union had collapsed, and now Russia was a European state and wanted to become part of the European states. Russia could said that we were, we were ready to join NATO. NATO was designed against Russia, Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union doesn't exist. The Warsaw Pact is over. It has been dismantled. So NATO should be dismantled, but if you don't want to dismantle NATO, we are ready to be members because there should be, you know, the, the uh, peace structure, it should be indivisible. You cannot divide peace. You cannot have peace for me at, at the expense of you, Mark, and you cannot have peace at the expense of me, it has to be together. But the answer was no, even though they had said to Gorbachev that there will be no eastward expansion. And as you pointed out, the eastward expansion began, you know, war began and, and the Russian knew it is coming for them. But in between, there was the joker in the pack that nobody saw. And that was the election of Donald Trump in 2016. And that turned the apple cart because they were running. They knew that they had the timeline. The agenda 2030 is a target date. And suddenly the election of Donald Trump upturned the apple cart 
And Donald Trump was talking about America first. He was talking about borders. He was talking about building the wall. He was talking about bringing back jobs from China and bringing back, you know, factories from China and the third world of, of, of getting the American people back on production and manufacturing. And if, if, if Donald Trump succeeds, other people will start talking the same language, particularly, you know, those Europeans who are not into the globalist agenda. And so Donald Trump had to be removed. And so it was a full scale operation to launch to remove Donald Trump. Short of killing him to do a JFK on him, they didn't do a JFK on him. They when to remove him and 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 they decided to remove him by unleashing the globalist agenda in an accelerated pace and so there was a maidan coup that had taken before donald trump but with donald trump coming in the bioweapon was launched and that is the covid it was a war against the government was at war against their own people. They've There's politicians around the world, Trudeau being one of them, Klaus Schwab being another, Christian Freeland being another, who have all said openly that they use COVID as a means to achieve the goals of sustainable development. They, they knew that it was created, manufactured, and then released upon the masses so they could take advantage just like this ukraine war again it's so they could take advantage of the consequences and use those consequences to their advantage that's what this is all everything is manufactured and orchestrated yeah yeah, yeah so 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 the covid 19 there's there's a whole new information out that the mainstream media will not discuss it. Hopefully, the, the Republicans are going to bring it out in the hearing. For instance, only last week, the story broke uh, and has been reported, but again, not in the mainstream media, that the COVID-19 gain-of-function research was financed and push forward under the emergency use authorization, guess by whom? But the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, it was done under the management of the Pentagon. It was a national security affair. So nobody could question it. And Fauci, was given the task, so he subcontracted the task through EcoHealth, Peter Daszak and company, to Wuhan Institute. Wuhan Institute, in effect, became the Patsy, just like Lee Harvey Oswald became the Patsy. This is an explosive story. The question is whether it will be investigated. And so it was went from the Department of Defense to Wuhan, and from Wuhan, it was released. The analogy here as a national security project is the Manhattan Project. President Trump 
the indictment against him will be by the Democrats that it was done when he was the president. But the fact of the matter is that President Trump was not briefed upon this, just like President Truman was not briefed about the Manhattan Project. It's a very complex story. However, the point that we have tonight, as we are almost running off, off, off the hour, is the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic was a control mechanism, and it was a worldwide experiment of how you can control the world population. The, the mask mandate, the lockdown, and the disruption of the economies. So this was an experiment and they drew their conclusion that they can do it. So they, it, the, the, the COVID-19 virus was not that lethal by design. They can bring in a much more lethal virus. So again, this has all been, it's like the first A-bomb was a very minor A-bomb compared to what we have now. So, Salim, uh, just one second. I just I want to uh, I want to show you the first few minutes of this video. You mentioned the DoD being involved in developing the pandemic, and I just want to show a, a little bit of this video just to add some context and perspective. Well, to our top story now, a bombshell new report shows that the Department of Defense, yes, the Pentagon, controlled the COVID-19 program from the very beginning, and everything we were told was political theater, basically to cover it up, right down to the FDA vaccine approval process. It was all theater. That means that human beings were used as props, essentially. According to newly obtained documents, the Pentagon used a combination of shady approval authorizations that are still in use, including the PREP Act, the Emergency Use Authorization, and other transaction authority, the OTA, all of which shielded big pharma agencies, medical participants that delivered unregulated vaccines from any liability and protected them, basically. We've gone through a lot of these documents and just showed how they are not on the hook for any of this liability. These documents, these new documents, were obtained by a former executive of a pharmaceutical contract resource organization. That person is Sasha Lydapova, and Sasha joins us now to tell us what she's uncovered. Thank you so much for coming on, this, on the show, Sasha. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. This is intense. All right, so I, I don't want to uh, spend a whole lot of time with that video. I'm just, I wanted to just preface it a little bit. And I'm going to put it in the chat. So if you guys want to watch it there, by all means, go ahead. Um, but it's, it, it was, it's, a, it's, it's quite a thing. It's quite a bombshell that was put out. Um, so yeah, so uh, straight up, this was all manufactured. This was all pre-planned. Correct. And, and, and so... With, with the COVID uh, experiment, which from the point of view of the globalists was successful, uh, they immediately, and, 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 and the success is to, to be measured, measured by what they 
achieved in terms of how it was implemented and how the people went along with it, you know, worldwide, particularly in North America, you know, how alternative medicines were disallowed. I mean, I've talked about this, about India, how India dealt with this issue through ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and, and, and reduced their problems, you know, almost to negligible, whereas we are still struggling with it, you know, uh, and 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 ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and other me medicines are not being allowed here in Canada and so on and so forth. So, from their point of view, they have achieved what their goal was, but the most important goal was political. They drove Trump out of the office because that created the pretext for the stealing of the election in 2020, that is the mail-in ballot. And, and, and then that was used again in 2022. So they got rid of Trump, they put back in the White House, their globalist man, you know, uh, the puppet. Uh, and, and then the next phase went in and the next phase was the war, you know. When you put all of this together, then the central, uh, uh, project of the globalist agenda is depopulation and deindustrialization, and they have achieved both. They destroyed. I mean, the biggest terrorist act that was done was done by the United States and Great Britain. That is the destruction of Nord Stream Two. And and they did it, and 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 you know, there's there, there's no consequences to them. Uh, 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 Germany is being rapidly deindustrialized. You know, this is the second time in less than a hundred years that the German nation has been pulverized and deindustrialized. It happened with the Second World War, and now it is happening again. You know. So they succeeded. They have destroyed uh, in in Europe the uh, hydrocarbon economy. They have created hyperinflation. They, but they but even but even when they've done that, Salim, the 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 byproduct, the consequence to that is now Germans are running into the forest and cutting the forest down so they can heat their homes, which which is more uh, carbon-centered and focused. We, we, I, I, just the insanity of, of all of this, um, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it was insanity from our perspective. I'm now looking at it from their perspective. That is, the, we, we, we are the target. I mean, again, this has no parallel in history where your own elected government is out to destroy its own people. This is a war against its own people. And again, if our brothers and sisters in Canada don't wake up to it, well, they're sleepwalking to their own destruction. We're all in it. None of us can escape this. The people who are not going to escape this, if they're going, if they're lucky enough, and I think that's what they're fighting for. That is what the the Russians are fighting for in Ukraine. What the Chinese are preparing for. What the Indians are preparing for. What the people in the Middle East are preparing for. They don't want to have anything to do with the globalist agenda. They want to break away from the entire UN WEF program. That is what it is all about. The, the, the creation of a multipolar world 
in opposition to the agenda of the unipolar hegemony is to find the breathing room and an alternative to the insanity of the Western world, where a man is a woman, where, you know, transgenderism, where all of this, ultimately, as, as you all Harari, who is the guru, uh, intellectual uh, guru of Klaus Schwab, has put out in, in an algebraic equation, if you all have seen that, you know, that uh, B times D times C equals A, B is biology, D, C is computing power, D is data, and you put it all together and it becomes, man becomes a hackable animal. So this AI man, that is going to be the future, according to Klaus Schwab's guru and World Economic Forum, is going to be a humanoid. It is not going to be, I mean, we are already being planted with computer chip. So we are not going to be anymore human beings in the sense that God's image, you know, we, are, we have been created. We will be humanoids because we will have no conscience. We'll be robots, you know. That's the future that they have in design for us. And if our people are willing to go along with this because they want the universal basic income, they want a digitalized economy, then... Un unfortunately, what the people don't understand, and it's, it's our job to help them understand, is this universal basic income, which is the carrot... Um, there's nothing supporting that. There's there's nobody creating wealth to support the continuous payment of this universal basic income, and so there's it's it's finite. And and at some point, all of these people that are relying on a government stipend monthly to support their lives are going to be again as communism always does it eats itself and and creates mass starvation and famine and 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 poverty and that's exactly what this does and it eliminates it, it eliminates you the people humanity off the planet and converts them into droids and, and this is exactly what they want to do this is how people really have to be able to wrap their head around the mindset of the people that are, are running this agenda and understand how fully and completely evil they are. Yes, they have to, but the people are being told, you're not telling them, I'm not telling them anything that they have not been told by Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh and Pierre Polyev. That is, you will have nothing and you will be happy. It's not my word or your word, it is the words of Klaus Schwab. And it is a word of Justin Trudeau and of 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 uh, Biden and Obama. So I'm holding in my hand while we have been talking about all of this. I'm holding in my hand, which I haven't come to, and we might want to come back to it uh, next week. The Declaration of North America three days ago in Mexico City. The summit took place. I don't know how many of my our friends didn't know about that and have followed that. This is from the White House press briefing that I have in my hand, the Declaration of North America. By the way, the initial stands for DNA. So this is going to be our DNA. Uh, <coughs> 
three days ago, it was signed. The, there are six pillars that they have agreed upon. All of them are UN Agenda 2030. So this is an accelerated pace. And the, the very first agenda in the sixth pillar is, guess what? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Inclusion, yeah. Me, again, to remind people, because this is not to in any way upset people. It is a reminder because our memories are so limited and short. You have possibly forgotten it, that ahead of the 2019 election, Justin Trudeau went to the Conference on Global Migration and signed the compact in Morocco in December of 2018. That was a UN declaration that was signed. There was no vote in the parliament. In the 2019 election, we tried to talk about that. That is a PPC. Maxime Bernier raised that issue. We raised that issue. We tried to talk about it, but nobody paid attention. The global migration compact was about the movement of the people from the global south to the global north, not simply on the basis of some sort of a compassion. This was their right. The global not. This is one planet. This is globalism. And the people have the right to move. There has to be open borders. And the people moving have to be met with all the requirements of the host countries according to the global compact rules that were laid out. You know, anybody questioning and challenging those rules would be considered in violation of the agreement. And of course, you know, liberals and NDP would smear them as bigots. Okay, so that's the diversity, equity, and inclusion thing. Where are we now, four years later? We have complete open border in the South, which is what President Trump was trying to stop and build. It is completely open. In the last two years, something like 5 million people have walked across that border and more are pouring in. At Mexico City, Biden was basically telling Trudeau, not negotiating, telling Trudeau that the numbers that are coming into America from the South will have to be taken in by Canada. That is the agenda that is being put down into every local municipality. You will see immediately taxes rising in your, you know, uh, 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 rental properties, in your private properties, because that was where the, the municipality is going to get the money to meet the growing demand of the population. This year, on an official target, Canada has put the number at close to 450,000 immigrants and migrants. But that number is simply the government stated number. It has nothing to do with the number that is walking across the Rio Grande in the south and which will be coming north. And this is a huge movement that is taking place. Uh, and it is by design. It is by design to 
hollow out and destroy the concept of national sovereignty. So you will own nothing. You're going to be one hundred percent, Salim. All right. So we're at an hour and fifty-two minutes. We should probably cut this one a little bit short here now. Um, but yeah, I think we should expand on this next week a little bit, and we'll talk about that declaration and and how it fits into the to the bigger agenda. And uh, once again, Salim, I appreciate all of your wisdom and uh and your perspective and and putting it forward for for so many of us to think about thank you thank you this is the least that we can do you and i together good night and 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 we'll see you next week all right we'll see you next week hopefully we can have these sound issues worked out okay okay see you next week all right another round with our national treasure salim mansour uh he always wraps it up in a in a nice tight bow at the end um, and puts it all into perspective. Uh, yeah, very wise man. So that's going to wrap things up for tonight. Uh, we're already at an hour and 53 minutes, so uh, we're going to we're going to wrap this up. Uh, but thanks to everybody for coming in and sharing this out and uh getting as many eyeballs on it as absolutely possible because uh, it's important. And if people don't start waking up, um, we're going to be in a world of hurt. So, um, yeah, where did you go? Sorry. <laughs> All right. So that's going to be a wrap. And remember, globalism bad, nationalism good. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to be coming at you probably sometime next week, maybe midweek, uh, with our finished product. Uh, full discussion of each and every one of the 17 goals, including some targets and some indicators under sustainable development so people can really start to wrap their head around what it means for them. Um, so stay tuned for that. That's going to be a big one. Um, yeah. So anyways, for tonight, that's a wrap. Love each and every one of you. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Ciao for now.